Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun informal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. I have a friend on Facebook, really cool Facebook friend, and she has a business that is some kind of feminist women empowerment, but it also has to do with, you know, your vagina and all kinds of things. I'm not really sure exactly what her business is, but I was noticing <laughs> that she was posting the same things on Facebook where she was getting a lot of engagement. And then she was reposting on LinkedIn. And I think, God, those are such totally different platforms. If for the only reason that Facebook is your silo of sameness. So if you're an American, you tend to have your American friends. If you are a liberal or conservative, you tend to have the same. It's your silo of sameness. They feed you more of what you want. And I was thinking, God, this isn't really good thinking. You know, you go on Facebook and you really think you're engaging and learning and seeing the articles, but that's not, that's not good. Th- is that good thinking or is that just like uh, confirmation bias thinking? So then she reached out to me. This woman reached out to me and said, hey, I noticed you're mostly engaging on LinkedIn and I'm really wanting to get onto the LinkedIn platform. So I went back to some of her posts and it was like vagina and labia minora and a lot of the political issues in the United States, which is all fine. However, you know, she was really hoping to think about it as a different platform. And I said, well, you need, I was telling Barkley the story. I said, well, you need to kind of consider, you know, it's an international platform. And Barkley says, well, as long as you distinguish between the two types of countries, the labia majora and the labia minora countries. (laughs) (laughs) And I just was like, okay, touche, that is perfect. But that got me thinking about this curiosity bite. Are you ready? And let me say this before I ask you. Yeah. This is our last episode of season two of Applied Curiosity Lab Radio. Now that does not mean there might be a season three, but we are doing a little something that we will where you can catch us. I have moved most of the content to a LinkedIn live show that you can also catch on my YouTube channel, Becky Saltzman. And it's clunky. We're working through some tech, but the it's called Good Thinking. So it's the Good Thinking show on LinkedIn Live. How to access that, you have to go to my profile. You have to go to the activities. It's not an easy, they don't make it easy, but you can also catch it on uh, YouTube. And well, if you go to LinkedIn, I think I think, do, do you post it like you're about to start or something and you can click it does on that. post it if you're following me on LinkedIn and you go to LinkedIn at the time, I think anyone that you follow gets notification that you're going live. So that's a yeah, that's another good. That's another. Yeah, good, that's how not, I do it. It's not it's not easy. At it's all. not easy. It's not easy. But that's where we're moving the good thinking. And we're going to talk about good thinking, but that leads to, and you're, and hopefully will you join me from time to more than Oh time? my God. Uh, I don't know if that audience can handle it because I might talk about the different types of countries. The different types of, that's nasty. 
<laughs> no, I would I would absolutely love to. And hopefully we can have some curiosity bite moments on your good thinking show. That's that's a deal, because with Rona, we're not able to do the workshops that we so love so often, although we've got some interesting virtuals in store. So, yeah, I miss those. I yes, really hope that we get too. to do that sometime soon. Well, we're going to dive into good thinking today because the curiosity bite Ready for your chomp? Yes, sir. Curiosity bite is, what's good thinking? <sighs> okay. What's good thinking? I would think <laughs> that you need to take a thought or an idea and really be able to dissect it. Again, I'm going to bring up speech and debate. When we have a resolution, we have to dissect each word and turn it upside down to be able to really look at all the different angles in order to come up with different contentions to prove our... Your argument. Yeah, our argument. I would think that that is probably a way of having good thinking. I'm sure yours is more succinct, but... <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> that's but, what, but, but what, what do you mean? What is a way? To turn, turn definitions upside down? To, yeah, to look at each thing and try to think of all the different angles and see how that will make your argument or your contention more persuasive. What do you say? Well, before I do that, let me ask you, what do you think it means to have a good think? When I have a good think, it's usually I sit down somewhere and I scratch my chin and I just sit down and I have a good think. I read somewhere that the best place to really do some good thinking is in the shower. Mm. Actually, that was going to be my list. I was going to come up with a list about all the things you can think about in the shower. But I really couldn't come up with a good enough uh, list. So that is not my list. But. Okay, because that, would, that wouldn't have been bad. But that makes me excited for your list. But I will say that good thinking is a term that incorporates intentional thoughts or intentional cognitions. And it's not impulsive thinking. Now, I would say impulsive thinking isn't always bad, but impulsive thinking is not good thinking. And I think of it including, I call it the three-legged stool of good thinking. And this will air after we, we start working on the good thinking manifesto. So I'm going to actually ask that, we, you, that you come back on when we finalize the good thinking manifesto, because we're going to tackle a little bit today. But I would define good thinking as a three-legged stool of critical thinking, strategic thinking, and creative thinking. And there is not one that is better than the other, but they all make up good thinking. And the challenge is to be able to identify when you've made a thunk. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge is to identify what bucket to put it in so that at the end of consideration of something or at the end of a period of time, or if you're measuring your good thinking in any way, that you can look in the bucket and see that there's chits in the critical thinking the strategic thinking, and the creative thinking bucket. Well, explain to me then the difference of the three-legged stool. All right. Creative thinking is looking at challenges and opportunities from fresh perspectives to conceive of or produce new ideas or solutions. Would you agree with the def that definition? Yes. All right. So question might be, how can I rearrange this problem to see if we can discover a new solution? Now that's not an exhaustive. It's just one question. That's just one question that you could ask. That would be a creative thinking question. A lot of people might say, "Well, that's critical thinking." No, it's good thinking, but it's not critical thinking. 
Yeah. And critical thinking is different because critical thinking is a tool for assessing information quality and relevance. That's really what it is. There's strategic thinking that a lot of people think is critical thinking, but when you really know the difference and you can identify the difference, then you can know that you're thinking you have good thinking. So, for example, it's judging and ma- making rational decisions about what to do or what to believe. And most of our decisions about what to believe are not made rationally. So there's kind of key critical thinking questions. So when you're evaluating the accuracy of information or you're checking whether the evidence supports the argument or you're looking for biases, busting assumptions, that's critical thinking. Critical thinking question might be, how can we find out if this is really true? That's a critical thinking question. Right. And then the third, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. To me, it sounds like what you should start off with, correct me if I'm wrong, you should start off with critical thinking. Is this true? Is the source reliable? All of those kinds of things. And then you go from there, then you would go into creative and strategic thinking. Is that kind of the idea? You know, I think that if the first step would be to understand the difference and make sure you're covering all the bases. I do think that the foundation is critical thinking because if you're basing it off false information, if you don't know the difference between a fact claim and a value claim, both of which are totally fine, but you you, you don't know the difference and you don't even think about the difference, then you're probably not ready for strategic thinking and your creative thinking may be misguided. So I do think it's the it's the hardest though. That's the problem. So people default to creative thinking, not that it's easy to be creative. It isn't, especially as a problem solving tool, but yeah, good thinking requires all three and it really requires that you attend to all three. And the thing about it is, and we'll get into strategic thinking, but the thing about it is it's not something you're born knowing how to do. It's a skill, a learned skill. And if if my dream came true, it would be thinking would be part of a core curriculum for high school students and college students, because how can we be expected to know when we've never learned? But if you start early and you diligently practice, it can actually be go from a skill to a character trait. Like we see people who are good thinkers. Yeah. Now we see creative thinkers and we might even see strategic thinkers, but good thinking requires all three legs of the stool. So strategic thinking is generating and applying insights and opportunities to overcome barriers, solve problems, and accomplish goals. Strategic thinking is, they're all so important, but they're different. A strategic question might be, how or why would I do that? Not how or why would I do that, but how or why would I do that, right? Like really out of curiosity. So when you're getting insights from information or you're breaking down facts and ideas into their strengths and weaknesses or analyzing trends over time, those kinds of things, those are strategic thinking. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I was just thinking about uh, you were saying that critical thinking is the most difficult. And I was thinking about that because I think it's difficult because when you come at someone with critical thinking and ask those questions, if it's a fact or is it value, I think people get defensive because they feel like you're not believing them or trusting them. You know, where did this information come from? They might feel like, you are doubting everything that they say. And so people don't want to do that because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Exactly right, which is why through all the work, I've come, I, you know, I kept coming back, coming back 
and coming back through all the good thinking, through all the decision making, through all of the work, even back to my, you know, graduate work, came back to one thing, curiosity. Because if you don't engage and understand curiosity, then you can be trapped by dismissing questions that are asked with curiosity toward a critical thinking pursuit as emotional or bias or whatever, you know. And and by the same token, one of the biggest challenges with good thinking is that we see bad thinking in everyone. It's not hard to see bad thinking, except mm-hmm. for if we have to see it in ourselves. <laughs> yeah. In our workshops, we talk about the MVQ, mm. the most valuable question. And through this Applied Curiosity Lab Radio and through your good thinking class, I'm realizing that all of these things you're teaching are going to help you come up with the MVQ. And the whole thing about the question contract, all of this kind of ties in together because if you can come and come up with your MVQ, which would maybe start off with a critical thinking question, and they have done the question contract, then they've opened up their, yes. their company to uh, to curiosity, and then they yes. would not get defensive. Yes. And they would welcome this three-legged yes. way of thinking. My mind is being blown right now. Right. It all is coming together. Yes, that's what I've I been I guess trying- there is a method to your math, <laughs> madness, <laughs> I <know>. Becky. <laughs> I know, and it sounds like, oh, well, Apply Curiosity Lab is just a big old, you know, marketing thing for Apply Curiosity, Apply Curiosity Lab Radio is just a big old marketing thing for Apply Curiosity Lab. But the, the truth is, it's a big old marketing thing for good thinking. Because yeah. if we don't teach something, we can't expect to see it. And if we don't learn it ourselves as adults, because we didn't learn it, I didn't learn it, I had to go searching for these things like this was this it's not just like i didn't get this in our public school system right i didn't take a thinking thinking 201 course right you know ever and what i like is that like what we're talking about now really gives you those actionable bits to be able to apply it because now you can link all of these things together and you can see exactly how it works, and how the world, a community, a a business, whatever, can actually have better thinking. And better outcomes. And better outcomes. I am a believer. People our age look at younger people. So people our age, you know, 40 and above, I would say, look at younger people and they say, God, look at them. They're learning so much. They're, you know, they're multitasking, multitasking. They have three screens on. And I, you know, can be guilty of the same thing because I can sit with multiple screens, but you just see this and you're just going between. And and so a team of researchers at Stanford wanted to figure out how these college students were able to multitask so much more effectively than adults. Now, I would argue if you're comparing the genders, that might put a variable in your data that is, but whatever, they didn't, they didn't mention, and the study didn't mention gender. Okay. But what did they find? You're asking me? Yeah. I personally, I know that there's no such thing as multitasking. So I'm assuming that's what you found. That there's no such thing as multitasking? Right. Yes. Yay! They don't. And it goes further than that. The enhanced cognitive abilities that the the researchers expected to find, the mental faculties that enable people to multitask effectively, they just were not there. People did not 
multitask effectively. But the surprising thing was the more they, quote, were doing multitasking looking behaviors, the worse they were not just at other mental abilities, good thinking abilities, but at the multitasking itself, which doesn't make sense because either multitasking doesn't exist or it does. And so, see, that's an example of there's some there's some ambi- this is a critical thinking challenge ambi- ambiguous data right here. Time for that critical thinking. Yes. One thing that made the study different from others is that they didn't test cognitive functions while they were multitasking. They separated the subjects into high multitaskers and low multitaskers, and they used different kinds of tests to measure cognitive abilities. And they found that in every single case, the high multitaskers scored worse. They were worse at distinguishing. They were worse, worse at critical thinking, at distinguishing between relevant and irrelevant information and ignoring irrelevant information. They were more distractible, and they were worse at mental filing, keeping information into the right contextual boxes. In other words, their minds were more disorganized, and they were even worse at switching between tasks and remembering from each switch. Oh my God, this just totally gives me enough. Two revelations in one podcast. Barkley. Barkley is not good at multitasking, but he is such a smart thinker. Because he doesn't do it. That's interesting. Like if you could give someone a concept and have them apply good thinking and see how deeply they understood it and see if people who they're so bad at multitasking that they don't even pretend that they can do it and see if those people are better at extracting deeper meaning from material. I bet they do. You do? My my hypothesis is they, they do. Well, I'm going to look because I think I'm going to be attending a there's another behavioral science conference and now I can go to more because they are virtual. Isn't that so one nice? Is a, a behavioral economics. So it'll be interesting in decision making. So that's going to work into the high stakes decision making curriculum. Thinking means concentrating on one thing long enough to develop an idea about it. You can start to see that the opposite of good thinking would be bad thinking. Thinking means concentrating on one thing long enough to develop an idea about it. Bad thinking can not only be the um, process, but it can be the result. Like you can process through thinking because you're concentrating on it long enough to develop an idea about it. Maybe you see one video that's 30 seconds long or three seconds long and you develop an idea about it. That is thinking. Now, spending three seconds on a video, not going through the three-legged stool, that's, you know, people could call it lazy thing, but it's not, it's just, it's not because you're not being lazy. You're not, you never learned it. Good. It's not good thinking. And it's okay to say it's actually bad thinking. It really is. You can say that. It's just like there are good questions and bad questions. And this whole thing about, oh, there are no bad questions. I mean, come on. We've asked them ourselves. We were like, oh, I shouldn't have asked that. I should have asked it this way. Without having a class to teach you about the three-legged stool, then all you're really doing is bad thinking. Well, without ever taking thinking... You could happen upon, I think some people could, are naturally creative thinkers. They, you know, they, they, they apply a lot of creative thinking. Yeah, that's one. That's one part of the stool. And I think a lot of people are strategic thinkers. And I think you could learn to be a better creative thinker and you could learn to be a better strategic thinker. But a lot of people break things down. You might, let's say you're an engineer and you've learned to break things down like a, you're a software engineer and you have to break the components down so you know exactly how to code at this so you have to start with this and build your way up right you have to that's you have a you have a lot of strategic thinking but when would you take the when would you take good thinking like what 
class would you learn specifically critical thinking? Maybe there's a class in the university. I mean, I haven't maybe like maybe philosophy and ethics. If you're learning about Kierkegaard, you're not necessarily learning about good thinking. You're learning about philosophers. You're learning about how to think about things. But but remember, critical thinking is very specific. What I'm thinking is, yeah, the problem is with that. Now, I do believe that when you take like a philosophy and ethics class, the circular conversation that gets down to, I think philosophy is so frustrating. You're thinking about different things and, and it just ends up to be circular. But again, it doesn't teach you the exact tools to think and to be able to work out those thoughts that these philosophers come up with. That's what we need. Right. And that's why I think I love philosophy, but a lot of philosophy is studying philosophers and then trying to understand how they came up. With, not all, but, you know, you're you're you have to understand this is, you know, this is this philosophy. That's that philosophy. It's studying philosophers. Right. But is, you know, I don't know that that necessarily lends itself to critical thinking. It lends itself to thinking. But does it lend itself to critical thinking? So maybe. Not know. if you don't know how to do it. Which brings me to. My list. We were talking about philosophers, and that is what I created my list from, the, the different philosophers. I have a list of the seven most eccentric philosophers mm. that have been venerated as good thinkers. Okay, let's hear it. I love it. And so I'm going to name the philosopher and kind of basically what their, I mean, the best of my knowledge, what their philosophical stand was. And then we'll kind of figure out what kind of, if that was attributed to good thinking. But then I got to tell you, philosophers are kind of weird. I think you might have to be just to think that way. But I'm going to tell you about some of the eccentricities. So the first one is Jeremy Bentham. He was the philosopher. You don't know Jeremy Bentham? He was the philosopher that really came up with utilitarianism. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I don't and know you, well, and I always believe that utilitarianism was the greatest, the greatest good to the greatest amount of people. Okay. But actually, when I looked into it, it's more about pleasure and happiness, the only thing that truly has intrinsic value. That is kind of what utilitarianism is, and that everyone's happiness counts equally. So I think that's where you get the greatest good for the greatest amount of people. That's basically what utilitarianism is. All right. So Jeremy was thought of as a good thinker because he came up with this idea that, I mean, utility, that's probably, you know, utilitarianism is utility, the greatest use, the greatest, I didn't know it was happiness necessarily, but it was like the greatest positive benefit, I guess. I always thought yeah. of as utility as positive benefit. That, that, that sounds right. Yeah. A lot of people now are recharacterizing those kinds of things using the word happiness. I don't know I mean, maybe he, maybe that Jeremy guy used the word happiness in his writings. This may be creative thinking because it's kind of trying to understand the world, turning it upside down, looking at it from, you could characterize it in different ways, but it, it definitely would be easily characterized as creative thinking. I could see that. I could see that as, yeah, let's go with creative thinking. He was an odd duck though. He was a bit of a recluse. And he he was the guy, he actually named his walking stick and always used overcomplicated language just for the fun of it, just to mess people up. In his will, he demanded that his remains be dissected publicly by a friend of his. And after this, his remains were mummified and placed in a glass case 
so that it was on display at a co- the College of London. <laughs> and it still is on display at the College of oh, London. Oh, man, we've got to go take a picture by his mummified remains because that will make me very happy. Yeah, you like that stuff. I remember in England, you went and saw a bunch of mummies. Yeah. That's I it. went shopping instead. <laughs> <laughs> you went shopping. I went to see the mummies. <laughs> oh, my God. The next philosopher is Pythagoras. Oh, yeah. Pythagoras, like the theorem. Yeah, like the Pythagorean theorem. Yes. His thought was that the soul is immortal and it travels into a new body after death. So what do you think that kind of thinking is? All of these philosophers are trying to explain the world for the most part. Some of them are trying to explain economic theory. Some are trying to explain the meaning of life. Some of them are trying to, I don't know what that's trying to explain. I really don't know what that, I mean, he was a mathematician, obviously, because, you know, he figured out the yeah, triangle. Yeah, concept for the, yeah, for geometry, the sum of the angles of a triangle is equal to the right angles. And I, now I'm falling asleep. But actually, I did like geometry. And the Pythagorean theorem is all about the triangle. So Yeah, all about I, the triangle. Yeah. And I like that. I like that. I'm not going to fall asleep to geometry, just every other kind of math. Good, good, good. Because usually when you mention the math word, it's the next thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's coming. That is coming, though, with one of these philosophers. Did you know that Pythagoras was actually embraced at, uh, by a cult. And there was an actual cult that was created by, by him because he was a mystic and he had a bunch of really bizarre customs. Like he would not eat beans or bake bread. He always had to put his left shoe on first, but he was killed by an angry mob that pursued him to the edge of a bean field. But because he wouldn't touch beans... He was stuck at the ed- edge of the bean field and they just bludgeoned him to death. <laughs> Idiot. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's funny how you hear that bludgeon someone to death and it sounds funny because it's old timey. But what if it was like someone that was psychotic and it happened yesterday? That would sound horrible. But I would also go, OK, go into the damn bean field. No, they it's had funny. schizophrenia and they couldn't go into the bean field. Oh, poor thing. Maybe he did have schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of these people with schizophrenia ha- are philosophers. That, that is a huge, huge. Actually, that's a huge topic because a lot of people say, well, maybe people with schizophrenia are seeing perceiving things that are there that we and people within that community, you know, are super divided because a lot of them hate that because it's it's not it's not uh, the disease model and other people think it's an enlightened model. So that's a whole that is actually a major topic for another time. The next philosopher is Z- Zlavoj Zizek. Zizzy. Zizzy for short. Zizek is a famous philosopher working with Marxist psychoanalytic and German idealist traditions. And he really, really hated capitalism. Mm. Still Capital- does, evidently. And he's still alive. Yes, yes. And in 2003, he wrote some text for a series of Abercrombie and Fitch photographs. So you meaning by text, you mean copy for like an ad? Yeah, I think just for the ad. And he said that he would rather do that and get paid than to sell any of his actual thoughts and and philosophical writings because he just didn't believe in that part of the of capitalism. Okay. So what was his good thinking? I mean, he just sounds like another person who has a critique of capitalism. I don't really know what he brought new to the table. I don't really either. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about him, but okay. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Emmanuel Kant. Yes. I can't hear you. Yes. He was uh, really the one that brought in the philosophy of being a critique. And he had three different types of critiques. The critique of pure reason, the critique of practical reason, and the critique of the power of judgment. Mm. Yeah. Kant was definitely, again, people bridge in good thinking, they bridge all of these. Kant was one that highlighted critical thinking. I'm not suggesting that these other philosophers that have, Did not. they don't have an S in their name, by the way, they're not philosophers, but I'm not suggesting that they were not necessarily good thinkers. But when I hear what you're saying about some of these philosophers, I don't really know where we're talking about them, but Kant, I can understand, definitely talked about critical thinking tenets. So, yeah. yeah. He was an odd duck. I wonder if he was a little bit OCD because he had to do everything the same every single day. As a matter of fact, his neighbors would know exactly what time of, of the day it was based on his daily routine. So he was an odd duck too. Hmm. And then the final philosopher, philosopher, who philosophizes is Diogenes. <gasps> that was the name of our Scottish terrier growing up. We OG. called him OG for sure. Huh? OG. OG. <laughs> but Diogenes, I thought Diogenes was searching for an honest man. Well, he, he was. <laughs> he was. What he brought to the table was the philosophy of cynicism. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. Interesting. And he also believed that virtue was better revealed in action than in theory. All right. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that a lot of people mix up cynicism and skepticism? Yes. Which do you think is associated with good thinking? Skepticism. Because cynicism is believing the worst of someone or something. They believe that people are selfish and always act out of self-interest, for example. So it's really, and sometimes you need to look at worst case scenario. So it's not like bad thinking. I mean, cynicism isn't bad thinking. It's just not one of the, it does, it's probably not as associated with good thinking. Because sometimes you look, have to look at the worst case scenario. But skepticism, a skeptic doesn't believe anything without strong reasons. And that's why it's associated with doubt people can be skeptical when they haven't experienced it themselves. They can be skeptical if they haven't seen it or smelled it or lived it themselves. But then a critical thinker will say, okay, then you got to take skepticism one step farther because are you overvaluing your own anecdotal and experiences? So that's, so skepticism, both, both can be components, but I would think skepticism is more associated with good thinking. So thank you, Diogenes, and thank you for giving us our dog. You know, you always say, that curiosity isn't about being judgmental, but it's about being more accurate in your judgments, right. which I think goes along with being skeptical rather than cynical. Right. Right? Correct. Because the point of critical thinking comes down to strong reasons. So if the reason you're being skeptical, your strong reason for being skeptical is your own experience, then you have to ask yourself, is that, is that reliable data? Is your own experience reliable data? You go, yes, if I experienced it, I'm going to give it 10 bonus points. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's Diogenes do that so crazy. Diogenes was a kook. 
like I said, he really believed that actions is what makes you have better virtue. So he lived it. He walked the walk and talked the talk because he lived in a wine, a wine barrel. Wait, a wine barrel or a wine room? A big wine barrel. One of those big ceramic wine barrels. He lived in it. He owned only two things. He owned a a cape and a, a staff. He used to own a bowl. But when he saw a slave bringing water up to his mouth, then he realized he didn't need a bowl anymore. So he gave it away. He thought a bowl was essential until he learned that it wasn't. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's an eccentric guy. But I also feel like we can look at eccentricities with a very understanding lens if they're old timey. Yeah, he was old timey. I mean, yeah, old timey. I mean, he's old, old timey. Yeah. And if we saw someone living in a barrel now with just a cape and a staff. Nah. <laughs> I mean, we see quite a bit of that here in Portland, yeah. Oregon. We don't really venerate them as philosophers. <laughs> oh, no. Unfortunately. Are you ready for the sort of fact? Yay! Our last sort of fact of season, season two. Season two. All right. P.U. For those of you new to the podcast, prestigious university. And by the way, I am hearing more about this university on the news than ever before. <laughs> this prestigious universe. I mean, every time I hear it, it's like, you know, I want to like punch someone. That game where you like hear something or, you know, or, t- or take a drink, take a shot. <laughs> we should That's play better. PU, whatever. Brown drinking. Anyway, a study out of PU found that subjects were 87% more willing to change their mindset than to change their mind. Courtesy of Sort of Facts. Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing Curiosity Bitten conversations, subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, For all things Applied Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to AppliedCuriosityLab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.